Welcome to A Court of Transformation and Awakening. I am Lori Gray. And I'm Amanda Grace Harrison. And in this episode, we are discussing chapters four and five of book one, A Court of Thorns and Roses. Okay, he's here. The beast is here. The beast has arrived. <laughs> the beast. The nameless beast at this point. Not a Martax. He's not a Martax. Thank goodness. Um, but yeah. he's calling them all murderers. Screaming, yelling. I mean, yeah, this is, you know, this is a pretty intense scene. If you were actually living it out. And family's scared to death. For sure. Understandably so. I mean, can you actually... I mean... I'm so used to reading fantasy that there's a bit of this that kind of just, it, it just kind of like passes through. It's like, oh yeah, just like a beast and a thing and yeah, whatever. And... But can you actually imagine if like this huge creature just like busted into your house one night? No. <laughs> it's a, a horse-sized to... beast oh, just yelling at you in English. In English. No. Which, I mean, and this is this is interesting. You know, one of the things that stood out to me here is we kind of see everybody's um, fight, flight, freeze kind of response here where we have an actual threat and then we see what people do. Um, and it's interesting to see, you know, Elaine kind of like cowering and hiding and, you know, please, please like spare us and... Nesta putting her behind her, Feyre standing in between people. And it's interesting to see all the roles that that people take when the threat shows up and how people handle it. Um, but this this is one of those things where I think that the, the difference between what we see like in TV and fantasy books and reality maybe needs to be called out a little bit because our people's responses to danger in these things is sort of presented like a thing they can control. Like if you're like this brave character with, um, you know, if you're the hero, you never freeze. Like heroes don't freeze. And some of that I think is training, but also they're, the way that I understand the nervous system and the study that I've done is that your nervous system either puts you into fight or flight or it puts you into freeze based on what it thinks is most likely to keep you alive. Makes sense. You don't get to choose if you freeze. But I've seen people be in situations where they froze and then they felt so horribly guilty about it as if it was a thing that they could choose. But because it, it's always portrayed of like, oh no, the hero like doesn't freeze and like the person who does is like the weakling cowering in the corner, right? So just important for all of us to know that that is a subconscious process that your nervous system will decide for you. If it decides you're going to freeze, it's going to make sure you're frozen. Yeah. You don't have a lot of conscious choice over that. You don't have any conscious choice over that <laughs> at all. Um, but the, the ability to, the ability to keep moving though is, is actually really significant. Um, but it takes practice. You know, I, my daughter's like my eldest especially is a freezer like she freezes and we put her in um we took both of them through a self-defense course oh, uh, a few years ago and I want to do it again um because really I was thinking about it I'm like this is not a one-time thing this is like this needs to happen every six yeah. months or a year 
Um, it was such a good course, friend. It started out with basic things like how to not be a target, just like how you stand and being up and like what, what people are looking for. It talked about being aware of environment. They taught them basic boundary settings and what that looks like and had them walk it out and practice it. But then at the end, they actually did where they would like pretend attack them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we, they did this at their Taekwondo gym. And so there was somebody else instructing it, but the attacker was their karate teacher. So this is like a gentleman who they know, they love, he's funny. I mean, he's also, you know, he they, they respect him, but they know that he is so incredibly safe, mm-hmm. right? He knows this. And they're even warned. It's like, okay, you're going to turn around and then I'm going to come up and grab you from behind. Like they know, so they know he's safe Mm -hmm. and they know he's coming. And it was fascinating to watch them freeze anyway. Like to watch him come up behind my daughter and she, and she just immediately like tenses and just like hold still. He's like, and him having to walk her through it. It's like, okay, now you have, you have to use your elbow, use your thing. But like her immediate reaction is to freeze. And I do think over time, you know, and it was one of the things where doing that and even doing, um, we wanted to keep doing karate or we did it to the point of, it wasn't really my eldest, like it wasn't her thing. So we didn't make her keep doing it, but she did it for a while. She enjoyed it and she was about to stop. She's like, I don't think it's really my thing. I think I'm done. I'm like, oh, you are like just about to start sparring. And I'm like, will you please stay in long enough to just do a little bit of that? to be in that space where somebody actually comes at you physically yeah. and then you have to sort of override that and teach yourself it's safe to like get her body to to move. It's all that to say. I think that you can you can train yourself to overcome it, but but really that it takes a lot of time and energy and whether or not we go to fight or flies or flight or freeze or fawn is it's not a thing that people can control. It's not like in the books. No. And what's the difference book. between fawn and freeze? So for freeze, fawn's the newest one. So the fight, flight, freeze response has been, that's been, those have been recognized for quite a while. The fawn is a newer one. So where freeze is genuinely what you think of, like, I'm going to like hold really still and make no movements. Fawn is sort of similar to people pleasing where I will just like bend over backwards to make everything right. Like, how do I fix everything? How do I make everybody happy? How do I um, fix the problem? Like, without even thinking about consequences. So in this situation, would that look like trying to befriend the beast who stormed into the room? Or what would that look like here? So if she, okay, so in this case, so yeah, so fight response. Obviously, we're going to fight, flee. We're going to run away, freeze. (laughs) Elaine, cowering in the corner. Um, But a fawn response would be if it's like, oh my goodness, you, did you kill a wolf? It's like, how do I make it right? Oh, okay. It would immediately be going to like, how do I fix it? How do I fix it? Do you want money? Do you want a thing? Do you want me to shine your shoes? Do you want to, whatever? It's like, before there's any even rational thing, it's like somebody is upset and the way that I fix it is doing anything I have to, to make this other person happy. I do that one. (laughs) Hashtag me too. Hashtag. <laughs> oh, hmm. it's a thing. So it's it's one of the newer ones, and I've I've seen people you know give give different. Um, some people also throw in like a faint response. Like some people list different ones, but but these four are are the main are the main ones. 
Um, but it's it's interesting, and I think here's what I'll say. I think it's important for people to one not judge themselves for that subconscious process, and two to be familiar with how they respond in situations. Yeah, like. How do you respond under stress? How do you respond in different things? Um, because while we can't control our subconscious processes, I do believe we all have a responsibility for our triggers. Like we can't look to the world and be like, hey, entire world, this thing kind of, this thing like triggers my trauma. So everybody around me needs to make sure that they don't ever do it ever. Like that's not going to happen. Good luck with that one. Good luck with that one. Good luck with that one. But to know, to know what triggers us and to know what happens and to then be able to make plans for it. Okay, so back to my daughter. So she tends to freeze. So when she goes away to college, what are we doing? We're sending her with a big dog, <laughs> a large one. There we go. <laughs> because if there's a thing, there's a good chance she's going to freeze. Yeah. And that may be really helpful for yeah. her. It's a good idea. That's a, I think that's kind of an extreme version for what to do in a, with a freeze response, but it is really one that we're considering. But on a more practical level, like I, you know, I know what happens for me and there's only so much we can do, but just having an awareness of it and not having any shame over it lets us actually plan for it. Yeah. Anyway, but these poor guys, they got a big old beast, big old beast in the house. Yes, Mio. Snow is coming in. Oh, man. It's just a rough day for the family. Even Nesta is stuttering. We didn't kill anyone. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's, I mean, that takes a lot for that girl to be, <laughs> not be clear on her words. Um, I love Ferris. But the beast's thick neck, that looked like a good home for my knife. <laughs> <laughs> The one oh, that, that thinks, man. killer instinct. We get to see a little bit of a little bit of that edge for her as well. But okay, so um, if you guys have read the chapter, so we've got this idea of you know, so he shows up. Um, you know, it comes out that you know, Feyre is the one that murdered the wolf. We find out he definitely was a fairy, and that the he tells her about this treaty. There's a treaty, and underneath it, now your life is forfeit. Um, but instead of that, she gets offered this other option. So it's like, basically, I can take you outside and slaughter you right now, or you can come live in Corinthia with me. Your days, here's this loophole. Yeah, so, and of course, she, you know, she decides to live. That maybe that would be a good idea. Good choice. Um, she's going to go with that one. I get that. Um, and then I love this, you know, so she's getting ready to leave. She decides she's going to go with him and, you know, she finally gives what she's been mean to say to Nesta the whole time. She finally gets that out there about Thomas trying to give her what she can as she leaves. Um, but I think it was, it's interesting here. One of the, the last things that her dad says is you were always too good for here, Feyre. Mm -hmm. Too good for us, too good for everyone. If you ever escape, ever convince them that you've paid the debt, don't return. So she's like, I hadn't expected this heart-wrenching goodbye, but I hadn't imagined this either. He's like, don't ever come back. 
And it's such an interesting passage. And to to contrast this with Feyre's view of herself, mm. which we're going to get to see more of. We've already seen hints of it. We're going to see more of it in the future chapters. But she, the way that her father sees her is not the way that she sees her. And I think even the way that she thinks her father sees her, even the way she thinks her family sees her, is not how they actually see her. No. She thinks so little of herself and her gifts and all these things. Well, I was about to say his name. Won't give away his name. The Beast. Uh, well, I think it's the first time when she speaks up to him and he says, the, the Beast whirled on me. Who killed the wolf? I stared into those jade eyes. I did. She's so bold. She's the one standing there bold. But it says he blinked and glanced at my sisters, then back at me at my thinness, no doubt seeing only frailness instead. Surely you lie to save them, he says. I love that because he's like, you, you mm -hmm. scrawny little thing. You mm -hmm. can kill the wolf. Surely it was these girls cowering in the corner. <laughs> They're the ones more likely to have done it. But again, that feeds her whole I'm insignificant. Yep. I'm not important. Yep. Which you see again on, um, you know, a little bit later, he's talking about, um, you murdered my friend, murdered him, skinned his corpse, sold it at the marker, market, and then said he deserved it, and yet you have the nerve to question my generosity. Okay, and then in her mind, how typically human he seemed to silently mm. add. Now, whether that's what he means or not, this is, again, not the only time that we see Feyre do this where she decides for other people what they're thinking of her. Yes. She takes her own thoughts and opinions of herself, projects it onto other people, and assumes that's what they're thinking, and then doesn't question any of that at all. Yeah. Which in his case, in this, in this one particular case, it probably is true. But the point is that it's indicative of, like, she's always doing this. She's always going, well, I know what he's thinking. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, here... And the, and the contrast between her dad being like, you're you're too good for this. Go make a name for her, yourself. And then her automatically assuming, though, that somebody else's thought of her is, you know, how typically human. And again, yeah. yes, there in this case, it, it may be accurate. But I'm like, gosh, how how often do we do that? I mean, I know for most of my life, this was this was the ongoing thing in my brain was, OK, they said this, but mm. what did they mean? What did they think? Why did they say this? You know, it's like, okay, they said something nice, but I bet they're really thinking this. I bet they're actually thinking this. Or if they said that, like they were just trying to be nice. And and gosh, relationships felt confusing to me. I bet. <laughs> Sounds awful. <laughs> it was awful. Because I was always I was always you know, projecting that onto people. And I tell you what, it's like, it's so much better these days. Like I used to have such horrific social anxiety, like, and you know, being in the group setting was awful. And then for days afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm running through everything that I've said and everything that they've said. And like, oh my gosh, this sounded stupid. How did I say that? What did they think of me? What was this? <sighs> my brain has not always been a healthy place to stand out. And now that's not the case. So we went to an event, um, what's today? I He's believe Monday. it's Monday. It's Monday, Saturday. So we went to an event on Saturday, and there were there most of them were people who I knew, but not necessarily people who I know well. Um, there were people there who were more successful than me, 
there are a lot of people there who make a lot more money than me. There were a lot of people there who, in my mind, are <laughs> cooler than me. They definitely dress better than me. You know, <laughs> very like LA people. Okay, notice all these things. Um, but honestly, like going, it was cool to notice the difference in myself, you know, from five years ago where I'm like, I was excited to go. I assumed I would have a good time. I wasn't intimidated talking to people. I felt like for the most part, as much as I'm ever able to, I was able to be myself. I didn't have, you know, the ongoing um, the thoughts all the time to the point where like it kept me awake that night thinking about it. You know, So I've come, I, I don't deal with that like regularly all the time. But I'm like, did I have any thoughts of that at all? Mm. Yeah, one or two. <laughs> it's it's yeah, still there, break, right? Like that idea of like, what, what do they think of me? And like, you know, like what do people think of this outfit? Okay, nobody cares. Like nobody cares what I was wearing, but it's so easy to take those thoughts about ourselves and project them onto other people. Um, and it's so, so, so terribly unhealthy or to take what somebody says and assume the meaning behind it. Yeah. I've done it way too much. Yeah. Well, that's that whole, that opens up for me the conversation about don't take anything personally. Like even if they do say something negative, like straight, straight up to your face, say something negative, it's probably not about you. It's they're probably having a really rough day or they're projecting something on you or whatever it is, but mm -hmm. definitely isn't helpful to project stuff that they didn't even say. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> now you're taking that personally. That was, I heard um, one, of, one of my teacher's coaches one time talked about like when two people are in conversations, they said there are, there's, like four parts to the conversation um they're like there's there's what you meant and then there's what you actually said and then there's what they heard and then what they made it mean yeah and they're like any conversation between two people is basically like a game of telephone and and that step of where we try to guess why people said what they said and then we give it a meaning like all of that interpretation is yeah, what makes it crazy confusing um, and learning to basically if like if I'm not sure, like learning to ask back to that direct communication, mm -hmm. like when you said this, it felt kind of like this to me. Is that what you meant? Imagine if we actually did that. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm doing it more often. It's still hard sometimes. You know, it depends on how comfortable I am. But like I'm learning to just ask like, yeah. and I'm learning to not make that meaning in my own mind and and more so to really like recognize when I'm like mm, this doesn't have a thing to do with them this has everything to do with my narrative and let me project it onto you and then just assume that you thought it and then use that as evidence to support my own negative belief about myself so I can keep it yeah I'm really working to not do that yeah anymore it's <laughs> good Good call. Good call there, Lori. Good call. Good call working on it. But we do get this idea that no matter what we're going to hear from Farah about how she thinks about herself, mm. this is not actually how it, it's not how her father thinks about her, at least. It's not. No, I know. I was surprised by, by her father's farewell speech. Yep. Didn't see that coming. Yep. Okay, so that ends chapter four, and then they, what she say? I followed the beast to the night shrouded woods. 
Okay, and then chapter five is, it's really just his, the transportation. Chapter five is getting from the cottage to the manor. And there's not a, there's not an awful ton that happens in here. Um, <laughs> I do think that the beast has a little bit of a jerk move by knocking her out for the whole thing and refusing to talk to her. Um, <laughs> he's got his own way of dealing with the situation. She's trying to have some conversation. He's like, I'd rather not talk to you. How about you just be unconscious? Um, okay. So there's that. Um, yeah, so the one the one that I had marked, and I'm curious if you did, was on uh, the second page of chapter five where she talks about I'd killed a fairy. Yeah. I yeah. couldn't bring myself to feel badly about it. Yeah. Yeah, because to her, it's like, well, good. I killed one of the bad guys. That, Not when it meant one less wicked, awful creature in the world. Yeah. And now, it, now she's had to leave her family behind to surely starve, as she assumes, which is a pretty natural assumption given the situation right yeah and i mean i think i was just i was looking at this again you know a little bit more um metaphorical where i mean she killed she killed what she now knows as a person yeah and she's like i don't feel bad about it um and i remember the first time that it was presented to me that we get to decide whether or not we feel regret over things. It was really significant. Now, again, I think that emotions are, you know, I think there's a difference between the narrative that we consciously choose about things and sort of what we experience emotionally in a moment as, as different things. And I think what we experience in a moment is going to be what it is. But this concept that it doesn't matter how objectively bad the thing was in our past or even like the decisions or choices or or any of those things that like we still get to decide the narrative that we tell about past events hmm. and we aren't required to feel regret over them and that there are a number of other options that don't that don't re require us saying it was the best choice it was the wisest choice it's the one i'd make again but I think the significant thing is like most of the time, most of the time we have reasons for why we do what we do. And a lot of times we don't have the full picture. And yeah. that's the thing, it's always later we get the full picture. We're like, oh, well, this would have been a better choice, like this or that. But we're always, we're always forced to make decisions in a moment with only part of the information, you know? and. I genuinely think that most people are doing the best they can. And like hindsight's twenty twenty, um, But when we come to a thing, it's like when we get more information, when we look back and we can see, you know, a past situation differently, just that conscious understanding that we get to decide what story we tell about that. And it doesn't have to be one where we vilify ourselves and feel guilt and shame and regret for the rest of our lives. There's also a space where it can be compassionate, where we can go back and we can understand that yeah, it wasn't ideal. But sometimes we're not in ideal situations. Usually we're not in ideal situations. And that's, I mean, okay, so calling back. So, I mean, this is all calling back to chapter one, right? And I, I almost like um, pointed this out when we were in chapter one, but she even says there, she's like, that she had gone further in the wood mm -hmm. than, than she knew was safe. Mm -hmm. 
and why because like she was desperate like she felt she didn't feel like she had another choice except for to make this one that wasn't great and like in the moment and you see her in that split second decision having to make a call right as to what to do like on a moment like she didn't have a week to go home and like sort out what the best thing to do is here yeah. she just had to make a choice and then that choice came with consequences um but again being able to go back and understand her decision and that she doesn't have to feel regret and that we can do the same things for ourselves yeah good point <laughs> you're so positive all the time not all the time not all the time i can get dark <laughs> It gets so dark. <laughs> Not all the time, no. But it was, but that that was a thing that we did because one of the first um, things that you and I did was the rewriting her story yes. workshop. Yeah, for it's weird to pronounce her story history. like instead of let's rewrite history, her story. Her story um, where we went back and we looked at kind of the significant phases of um, our past. And sort of what the story was and then we we went through and we were conscious about retelling it in a more empowering way yes i love that and this, i'm like and it's funny i'm like you can't you can't literally change the past like this is that acceptance thing if it's like a factual thing that happened it's over but there's a big difference between the facts and the story we yeah. tell about the facts yeah and in that way, we can change history because so much of our experience of the past is the lens we view it through. It's the story we tell about it. It's the emotional space that we have when we remember it. And I'm like, no, you can't change the events, but you can change your experience of the events by the story that you consciously tell about them. 100%. Yes. And it's really significant. And there, there are memories from my past that like, now, some of them still make my stomach turn just because they were so terrible. But there used to be a lens of shame and self-judgment, and they felt like mm. evidence for my worst beliefs about myself. They felt like evidence for my brokenness. And they don't feel like that to me anymore. That's wonderful. I'm just like, these are... I was a human who was hurting, who had trauma, who yeah. was genuinely doing her best. And a lot of those calls weren't good. Like looking back, I'm like, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't helpful. Oops. Oops. Wouldn't do that one again. <laughs> wouldn't do that one again. But like when I seek to understand, I'm like, I can understand why I made those choices. Yeah. Well, and poor Pharaoh was starving. She hadn't eaten in days. And so it was either kill this wolf who may or may not be a being beyond a wolf. Or not eat again and go home hungry. Yeah. She can hear her stomach growling yeah. for days. Bless well, her heart. Right. And again, if she just shot him, the, the deer's going to run away. Like, yeah, she, she, had to, she had to make a call about a number of things right there in the moment. Um, and again, so many people, like, I know. yeah, not to get too deep again, but like a lot of people look back and it's a from the future they can look back and they're like oh no no there was definitely a different better choice that i could have made i'm like that's not the point no. the point is you didn't feel like you had that choice in the moment yeah and that is a significant thing so i can look back and like now i'm like oh my gosh i totally could have done this 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 or this and all of those would have been fantastic but i remember being in the moment and just feeling like i didn't have any options yeah and like that's a significant thing like whether or not we feel like we have choice and yeah and in this in this case like she 
yeah, she was in that space of like helplessness and struggle and survival and um I'm gonna wrap that up. Being how I would say this, if we are in survival mode and or in fight or flight, it's not conducive for creative problem solving. No. <laughs> Definitely not a time <laughs> to get creative. We're gonna make a lot of bad calls. Um, which is why, you know, for my clients, I'm like, hey, if you're thinking about doing some like thought work kind of stuff, like maybe make sure you like regulate your nervous system first mm. before you sit down and try to do that thought stuff because you will actually have access to all of your brain. That would be wonderful. Before you do it. I'm like, we self-comfort, we self-regulate before we do the other things. Okay. All right. End of chapter five. End of chapter five. We're entering the special world. She is now... So she said it should have taken two days, two days from her cottage to reach the wall and get to the southernmost border. Had I been held in an enchanted sleep for that long? Bastard. Bastard. <laughs> oh, the you... gate swung open without porter or sentry, and the beast continued through. Whether I wanted to or not, my horse followed after him. Welcome to Printhea Feyre of chapter five. End of chapter. Thank you so much for joining us for this chapter four slash five episode of A Court of Transformation and Awakening. And if you haven't already, be sure to go to acota.circle.so. That's A-C-O-T-A-A dot circle dot S-O, where you can tell us how you experienced chapters four and five and also get involved in our all of our chats there and all of our fun journeys that you can be a part of. And then we will see you soon for chapter six. All right. Bye, friends. Bye.